I'm Damien Barr and you're listening to Damien Barr's Literary Salon where I get to talk to the world's finest writers about their very finest words and find out a wee bit more about who they are. In this episode, recorded at London Savoy Hotel, I'm talking to Natalie Haynes about incest and murder in ancient Greece. As passionate about Buffy, that's the vampire slayer, as she is about Virgil, she puts women centre stage in her ingenious reimagining of the Oedipus story. And if you don't know the Oedipus story, you should know the Oedipus story. The Oedipus story is the story about Oedipus who has sex with his mother. Here to introduce us to the children of Jocasta is Natalie Haynes. Thanks. Hi. Don't you normally hang I... out with you somewhere this nice. I know it's quite nice. Yeah. It's it alright. I love what you've done in the place. Yeah. It's like yeah. A, it's like room 101 for the bio house, basically. Yeah. It's a nightmare um, for minimalists. Um, so the last time we did a salon was in New Zealand. That's true. Yes. And it was joyous. It was with um, with Ben O'Crean, Emily St John Mandel. Yes, and she had just flown in from New York, and she was luminous with tired and she, she was, was still brilliant it was she like, oh. was really brilliant but yeah. very weary i think we could have got her to sign away her entire life that night i think so yeah it. we could and have had just, her house you've just come back from australia yes you can have my house <laughs> yeah <laughs> why don't yeah, you read uh, for a wee bit from us from the children of jocasta and then we will, will. then we will talk about it i will do that i'm going to read i might read two short bits yeah, is that the right it. thing to do um but controversially i'm going to do them not in the order they appear in the book uh, because that's just the kind of rogue state I've become um, with fatigue. So I thought I would do the bit where um, Jocasta and Oedipus meet for the first time, uh, which we're going to come into halfway through, um, because uh, I always wanted to write this scene, um, and I always thought it felt a bit like screwball comedy. Um, Hello, I've accidentally killed your husband. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) Seemed like it would be fun to do. Um, So this is generally not a funny book. I mean, just in case you thought I'd reworked Oedipus to make it hilarious. No. Uh, It's very sad. But um, I wanted to write one bit of it that was a bit, tiny bit, I hope, funny. Well, we'll find out, won't we, in a minute. Your judgment will (laughs) rain down upon me like the wrath of Apollo, and we'll know one way or the other. Um, So I'll do that, and then I'll go back to the start and read you. Um, This book has um, two uh, sort of protagonists, I suppose, Um, one narrator, which is uh, a first-person narration, which I'll do second, and then this, the story of Jocasta is told in the third person. So. Um. so, if you killed the Sphinx, what happened to my husband? He coloured. That is harder to explain, madam. Perhaps you might try, she said. It was She's an accident. <laughs> He replied, your husband was distracted by the carnage around him. He saw one man after another fall, and he was injured himself. He had taken a knife wound to the right shoulder. You can't imagine how that must feel. His whole arm would have gone numb. You know a lot for someone so young, she said. My city is not as civilized as yours, Basilea. Don't call me that, she snapped, and my city is a great deal less civilized than it appears to you. I'm sorry, he said, but I'm afraid your husband was disorientated. He was slashing at anyone who came near him with a knife. The sweat was pouring into his eyes. I doubt he could see very much. So what happened, she asked again. 
I approached him to tell him that the threat was over and that many of the mountain men lay dead and the rest had run away. He lashed out with his knife. The boy raised his left hand and she saw a long cut down the leather guard he wore on his forearm, the bare skin beneath it flaming red. Lucky I moved faster than your husband or I'd be bleeding out in the mountains instead of talking to you now. He tried to kill you. Yes, so you killed him. Not intentionally, <laughs> Oedipus said. I shouted at him to stop, but he wasn't listening. He backed away from me to prepare for a second attack, and he lost his footing. He fell. Not very far, but <laughs> he landed horribly. Like I said, he couldn't see. He broke his neck. It would have been very quick, he finished. And so you came here to tell me that you are responsible for my husband's death, Jocasta asked. In a manner of speaking, he said, I saw his men collect his body and decide to bear him home. That's how I found out he was the king. I was watching them from the rocks above. If he'd stayed with the main party, he would still be alive, Basilea, I swear it. I said not to call me that, she said. Did you not think it was a risk? Coming here to a strange city to tell me you'd killed the king? What if I decided to have you executed? From what I ever heard, madam, your husband's men didn't seem to think you would be unduly saddened by his death. They seemed to think you could be removed from the palace quite easily. She nodded. She had never been popular with her husband's men. Of course they would want to replace her. And I suppose I took a chance, he said. Your husband deserved to die, madam. He was foolish and vain. He should have been more careful and he should have hired better scouts and treated the mountains with more respect. But I couldn't see that you had done anything wrong. I thought I would ride ahead of them and tell you what had happened so you could prepare yourself. That was kind. She reached over and touched his arm. And then when I told you he was dead, he said, you told me I was your ally. I thought you were one of his boys, she said again. It doesn't matter, he said. Just when you said it, I decided it was true. My hair doesn't normally look like this, Jocasta said. <laughs> wishing she had not hacked it off with a blunt blade two days earlier. <laughs> I don't imagine it does, he replied. It suits you, though. <laughs> Do you want another bit? Yes. Are you happy with that bit? Do you want a serious bit? We'll have a serious bit. Let's be serious. Let's be serious. So we're flitting now to the, back to the start of the book. Um, and your first person narrator is um, called Izzy. Um, you said that like you were introducing somebody in a restaurant. Like I know. Hi, she's here. She's your water waiter. Um, and uh, she is reading, controversially, given that this is the 12th slash 13th century BCE, um, she's reading in a corner of the palace. Now, do feel free, of course, to write in, um, particularly the people on British Airways, and point out that alphabetic writing won't exist until the 6th century BCE. That is a legitimate point. Um, I would, of course, say that Linear A and Linear B are in play by this stage. And, um, and also Cadmus, who is the legendary father of, um, uh, founder of Thebes and the great, 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 great grandfather of, uh, of, 
uh, the royal family in this uh, generation, uh, was the legendary mythical founder of the alphabet. So I thought it would be sweet if she were a reader. But I'm confidently waiting for that green ink letter. Dear Natalie Haynes, how dare you not know? Shut up. Um, I shall not bother writing back. Um, so uh, this person is uh, in, a, in a dark corner of a, of a sunlit palace um, reading. We were the exact same height, so our eyes met for a moment. His were a watery sort of grey, with two brown specks in the right iris. It made it look like a bird's egg. I should keep running into the courtyard, I thought, and then out the other side, through to the next square where my brothers and my uncle would be. I could return the manuscript to Sophon and apologise for taking it without asking. He wouldn't mind. But even as I was thinking this, it occurred to me that Perhaps my legs wouldn't carry me as far as the second courtyard. I was standing in the beating sun, but I was cold. The man looked past me for a second, though there was no one behind me, and then his eyes met mine. Wordless, he turned and walked away. I thought perhaps I might sit on the ground for a moment. I took a few more steps and fell to my knees just before I was fully in the courtyard. A girl I didn't recognize, the daughter of one of the house slaves, I suppose, was coming out of a bedroom carrying a tray. The noise of me falling, my thick silver bangle crashing onto the ground, made her turn and she screamed, dropping what she was carrying everywhere, hollow wooden things, cups maybe, or bowls. I heard them bounce and crash across the warm gray slabs. I hissed at her to be quiet, but she was too far away, and besides, she was making so much noise herself, she wouldn't have heard anything I said. The light was so bright, it made me want to close my eyes. I saw the shadows of birds flying across the square, but I couldn't raise my head to see the birds themselves. After a long time, or perhaps no time at all, I heard voices, but they sounded strange, distorted, as though I were hearing them underwater. I blinked, but my eyes wouldn't quite focus. There were guards and servants, and then my brothers, everyone running towards me. They were shouting, I could see from their flushed faces, but I could barely make out what they were saying. It sounded like they've killed her. Killed who? There was only one person left in my family they could possibly mean, my sister Annie. Please don't let it be Annie, I thought. However much we argue, I can't lose her too, please. The last thing I remembered was looking down to see that Sophon's manuscript was completely ruined, covered in something sticky and red. I would have to apologize. It would be hard to replace. And then, of course, I realized they meant me. Someone had killed me. So the book proceeds in those two voices. We have yes. Jocasta chapter and then an, an Ismeni or an Izzy uh, mm. chapter. Um, let's just go back to the very beginning. You say that you'd always wanted to write that scene. For how long had you been thinking about that myth? Yes. When, did, when did it first come into your life? Um, I would have been a teenager when I first... I read Oedipus the King, the Sophocles play, which is the most famous version of this story, yeah. although certainly not the only version of it. Um, I read it as a teenager because I, <laughs> I had very few friends and no lunch money. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I read it long before I saw it. Um, I guess they maybe weren't doing many productions of mm. Oedipus in Birmingham in the 90s. Um, <laughs> if they were, I was elsewhere 
kissing an unsuitable boy on the mouth. Um, and so I read it. I always thought of it as a book because I've got very poor imagination. So if, if I read it for the first time, I'm like, well, that's definitely a book. And then, of course, it isn't. It's a play. And mm. so I had long wanted to tell it as a novel. And the women's stories are so quiet in, in the surviving text that we have. Jocasta has 120 lines in Oedipus the King. And yet she works out what's happened before he does. By the time he works it out, she's already dead. Spoiler, you've had two and a half thousand years to read it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, she's ahead of him. Um, and so it bothers me. Ahead of me. him, and we should just... just she's clever. In working out that, of course, he is... They are related son. in are multiple re- ways. In many ways, yeah. <laughs> um, and we're told all the way through that play, clever Oedipus, clever, clever Oedipus, who solves yeah. the riddle of the Sphinx, which is impossible to solve for a normal human person, although why you would have a mythical monster basically setting the world's shittest daytime quiz, I cannot tell you, but <laughs> there it is. That's how it goes. Um, and... <laughs> I mean, who would ever guess it? No one would guess it. What has four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, three legs in the evening? Um, And it is, of course, a man, um, because four legs in the morning is a baby crawling on hands and knees, two legs in the afternoon, a person walking, three legs in the evening, a man with a stick. It's like, that's not a leg, that's a stick. Excuse me. (laughs) I've got a question, the so-called sphinx, and then, but no, he eats you if you get it wrong. So there is no negotiation. It's a really, really tough round of pointless. Um, So so Jocasta is very clever, but she's not given very many lines. She gets 120 lines. And and as many many. is given, I mean, she's very... 60. 60. 60 lines in the Antigone. So why, so because you felt sorry for her, you felt she had something she wanted to say? I felt she was a, she was a beautiful space where I could invent a person because there's no subtext in Greek tragedy, Mm. right? Greek tragedy has no subtext at all. When somebody wants to say something, they come on stage and they say, I am angry and this is why. And you're not supposed to go, oh, I wonder if they're angry because they'll just tell you. Wouldn't Um, life be so much easier? (laughs) (laughs) And bloody, but easier. Um, It just saves so much time. (laughs) But yeah, nobody in Greek tragedy is ever going to go, I think I should like to visit Moscow and then walk off stage and shoot themselves in the head. That's... That's not going to happen for a while. Um, so there was just loads of room for Ismene. And also, um, in the Jean Anouy version, do you know this version? So from 1942, I think, or 43, um, he changes their birth order. Mm. So for Sophocles, right, um, Antigone is the older daughter because she's dutiful. For Anouy, she's the younger one because she's rebellious. So it's like, well, all that difference between them just just by changing something that tiny, mm. it, it was just too alluring to take Izzy and make her a person. So you, you've, given, you've given her a voice and you've, and you've given um, Jocasta the cleverness that, that she has. You allow, yes. you allow her to be... To be um, the smart girl. To be the smart girl. Yes. Which, which she is. And then, um, so the, the, the style that you tell her in, though, is very plain. It's very simple rhetoric, to, to go back to Sam for a second. I mean, yeah. they, and you abbreviate a lot. I mean, they are Izzy and Annie as opposed to Antigone. Yes. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of... It's girl talk a lot of the time, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I... I can't speak for other people, but suffice it to say that when I'm reading a novel um, in which the characters are from a language that I don't speak, I, for example, Russian, um, sound out perhaps the first syllable in my head, and then I go, mm 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 I'm just like, oh, really, Alex, mm And then I thought, I don't want people reading this book to be going, Polynices, Etiocles. I don't want them to be kind of like, oh, I'm so wearied by... These names have been part of my life for... 25 years but they haven't for everybody so I thought it would just be easier you would abbreviate surely why wouldn't you so I thought well I will how did you feel taking on Sophocles and Co I mean (laughs) 
little bit intimidating. A little bit. A little bit. A little, little bit. bit. You know. um, yeah, a little bit. Um, the nice thing is that Sophocles was reworking the myth. So the earliest versions of the myth we know are reworked. The very earliest, I think, surviving version is in Homer. Mm. It's in the Odyssey in Book 11. I'm going to say 11. And let's hope that's right. Um, where Odysseus travels to the underworld and then he sees, and then the bit that's in translations is always called meetings with famous women. <laughs> Hello, Kim Kardashian. It's not. Um, uh, he's in the underworld and, and he sees um, uh, Kalen Epicastane, beautiful Epicast, um, who is the mother of Oedipus. And when their terrible marriage was uncovered, she rushes down to Hades and he stays being king. Um, with all the, you know, whatever it is, burdens of a baleful mother, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you can tell the story is different straight away. For a start, her name's different. Mm. It's Epicast rather than Yocasta. Um, and, and he, the, the, I mean, perhaps the most famous bit of the story um, from the Sophocles version is the bit where he finds her hanging, spoiler again, um, and takes her brooch pins and puts out his own eyes. Autoenucleation, in case you need to use that in a sentence. Um, the act of removing one's own eyes with brooch pins. Um, it's specific, but it might come up. Um, and in that pop quiz set by the Sphinx. There it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, in that that version of the story is obviously not that bit's not in Homer. Yeah. And um, the Antigone is even more strange because Antigone doesn't exist in the Theban story until the fifth century BCE. Um, she's not in the earliest versions. Ismene must have been because the the. Um, the city of Thebes is founded by Cadmus at a place where he slays a water dragon, and that water dragon um, is at the river Ismenos. And there's also a hill, I think, called in a, a village nearby. So she is definitely part of the story for ages. But um, the version of Antigone that I have told in this story is not the Sophoclean version. I have pinched the version from the 40 extant lines of Euripides' version. So don't go and Google it, or you'll find out what happens at the end. But yeah, no, I nicked the Euripides' version. Yeah, I'm trying very hard not to do spoilers. It's hard, um, isn't it? Because you think, difficult. well, everyone should know what happens, but I hope they don't. It's more of a, it's more of a why and, yes. a, and, yeah. and a how rather than a who, I think, just about. But anyway, yeah. um, so I was thinking lots. I was rereading Richard's books, um, and I was thinking small-town America with a river running through it and everybody knowing everybody else's business and everybody watching everybody else and it dawned on and everybody thinking that the fates control their lives and their yes. lives are unlucky. Um, and I looked to Thebes and I thought, this is exactly... It's the oddly familiar. Yeah, it's oddly familiar. <laughs> it's exactly the same kind of place. And you make Thebes feel really real. I mean, it, feels, it feels like... A, I, I can see the streets, the seven gates. I can see the palace. Yeah, yeah. It's, how did you get that level of detail? Um, I nicked it. Um, partly from Knossos, if anyone's been to Crete. Um, mm. Some of it is Mycenae. There's very little survives at, at Thebes, you see. So, um, yeah, no, I nicked it from other bits of Greece. But actually, my, the palace I have made in Thebes is much less grand than Knossos, which is on, was on multiple floors. Yeah. And I thought, I just can't... It's bad enough trying to keep track of the courtyards, of which there are only three. Yeah. <laughs> if I add an extra floors, I just can't do it. My brain will go. So, yeah, no, I, it, the, the, they've got a bungalow, basically. Um, sorry about that. Uh, it's less grand, but, yeah. And Theban society, I mean, there are... It seems very, it's very stratified, as, as yes. Sam was talking about earlier. So certain people can take parts, other people can't. All men are expected to fight. Yes, I mean, you have a... And that's another difficult thing about the, about the story of Oedipus, is that the most famous version we have is the 5th century version. It's written by Sophocles in the 5th mm. century BCE. But he's writing about a sort of quasi 
historic quasi-mythic time in the 12th, 13th century BC, so sort of seven, nearly 800 years earlier. So it's sort of the same as now if we were writing about Robin Hood or mm. King Arthur or something. So it's that far back. And so when Sophocles is writing, women have a complete upper-class women, I should say, um, for playwrights are all upper-class because otherwise you had a job. You couldn't swan about writing. Oh, um, But women are completely cloistered and, and they can't go out. You couldn't go out at all. I mean, you would only be in the women's quarters of your house. There's a legal speech in the 4th century where um, a man has killed someone having an affair with his wife. And the only way this man has seen his wife in order to begin the affair is because she's at her, her mother-in-law's funeral. Otherwise, she, she just wouldn't have been out of the house at all. Mm. And yet women in the heroic age, like Medea in Euripides' glorious, spectacular play, the Medea, um, have much more freedom, but they are mythical. So it's, it has a strange... I hope it has a sort of... I hope it has a play... a sort of play between the version of Greece that appears in kind of mythic times and the version that appears in tragic times, but they are hundreds of years apart. The, the, the morality is quite interesting to, to get your head around. So, you know, um, Jocasta yeah. and Oedipus being related as they are and that yes. being awkward. Um, the, um, Thank you, Dr. Freud. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> I think that's uh, dealt with. You know, there are other moments where people are kind of, you know, fine about marrying their first cousin. Yes. That seems to be all right. It is the oddest thing, isn't it? And right the way through to um, the f first century Rome where Claudius, um, the Emperor Claudius, Derek Jacobi, for those of you who do your... <laughs> the I Clavdev's way. Um, <laughs> uh, he marries his niece, doesn't he, in Agrippina the Younger, and they have to change the law on incest for it to become legal. And gloriously, they change it in exactly the way that would happen now. It crushes my heart um, on the other side of the Atlantic by saying, well, if the emperor does it, it can't be wrong. <laughs> hmm? <laughs> but I'm fully expecting that defence to be used on the subject of the Kremlin uh, any time so, this week. So, fully expecting it. So in incest is mutable um, at, at that time, and sexuality as well. A bit, yes. I mean, Thebes being a particularly um, noel kind of place. It is. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. And certainly by the, I mean, the Thebe, the sacred band of whom I think to, you, you may refer. Um, the army are, of lovers. They are an army of lovers. They are men who fight with the men they love because they are super brave because if you're fighting next to the man you love of course you will fight to the death why wouldn't you you're trying to protect the the person you care about most in the world um but there is the the version of Laius that i have in this book is a is a predatory gay rapist he is a horrible horrible man mm. and i honestly thought as i was writing it oh, I'm going to be in all kinds of trouble with this because people will think this is really anachronistic um, because though kind of... I mean, it's, it's sort of weird, isn't it? Because those sort of definition, those binary definitions of mm. being um, straight or homosexual, I, I was going to say that they're anachronistic to put them back on Greece, but now we're sort of losing them again. It's like there was just an interlude mm. when, when things were binary. And for the Greeks, it was much more fluid. Sexuality was definitely on a spectrum. Mm. Um, and you would absolutely have sex with a younger man if you were a married older man, if you could persuade him to, um, which might be intercrural, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> uh, and you, you would also probably have children with a woman. Um, and so, so your sexuality was much less binary then. And then the weirdest thing was when I, I came to, to do the kind of last bit of the afterword, I realized there's a version of the myth of Laius where he goes to the house of, of 
guest friends, uh, the, the rules of guest friendship are uh, profound and unbreakable in ancient Greece. If you stay with someone, then they have to be able to come and stay with you, irrespective of how annoying they are. Um, and you exchange gifts and la, la, la. And he stays at the house of friends and he rapes their son. And I was like, oh, I thought I'd made up that he was a horrible predatory rapist, but it turns out I've nicked it off a Greek. I can't believe it. So, yeah, no, I stole that as well. Much more of it is stolen than I realised as I was writing it, I'm afraid. Homage. I, that's I think, exactly we'll call right. It. Yes. Um, so, Colm Tobin's book is out now, House of Names, and David yeah, Mann's wonderful. got his book about um, Medea. Why, why is, and you've got this book, why do you think we're looking back suddenly in, at, at the classical civilizations? Why are we well, moment? I suppose I think perhaps lots of people have seen that there's a sort of thirst for the classics. Um, it's so little on school curricula now. Mm. I think lots of people feel like they are missing out. Certainly, of course, I get a self-selecting group of people who will mail me or invite me to an event or something who will say, I didn't get to do it at school and I'm sad about it. I guess the other people are somebody else, so I wouldn't know about them. Um, but uh, um, they could ask me about knitting. They don't. Um, but, though, I think probably... Those stories are archetypal. I mean, yeah. they're such a, a huge part of the storytelling that we have now. Um, Aristotle's poetics suggests that Oedipus the King is is the great structured tragedy of all time. And there is, you know, it's been reworked as a as a modern tragedy. It's been reworked as opera. It's you know, it's been made and remade. All myths belong to the time in which they're set and the time in which they're told. So I think they survive multiple reworkings. I think people probably thought that, I don't know, the Medea couldn't be retold until Crystal Wolf did it, um, which is, a, again, a brilliant version, which I can't recommend enough. But Greek tragedies have been performed more in the last 50 years than any time since classical Athens. So we obviously want them. Not everybody can get to the theatre, so I guess a bunch of us are going, hmm, <laughs> perhaps I could persuade them. So this handy paper back here, I think that might be what's going on. Thank you, Natalie. <laughs> Does, um, does anybody have any more questions about auto-enucleation, um, <laughs> the city of Thebes, ancient Greece, or incest? A question over there. Not pointing to you straight after I said incest. No, no, that was awkward. No, I just wanted to say, did you read lots of Mary Renault? Oh, yes. Did you read lots of Mary Renault when you were a kid? I didn't read as much as I should have, I think. Um, and I read some. I read The King Must Die. Um, and I really liked the fact that uh, the Minotaur's not a Minotaur in it. Um, I thought that was a really cool thing to do, to take the monster out of it. Um, and I read the Simonides one, but I can't remember what it's called. Is it the Praise Singer? There's something yeah. saying? Praise Singer, yeah. No, it's just whenever I'm ill, I always have to read it. Oh, that's a good choice. I the oh, God, what a good I, I choice. Like, I like the Persian boy. Yeah, just going to put that out there. I've heard that about you, Damien. Yeah. Um, not telling them anything they don't know. It's a book. It's a book. <laughs> it's a book. And Mary Renault is a very respected author of such books. Yes, and she is. And she's a fantastic, fantastic writer. She is the best. Quite right. Um, thank you for that question. Thank you, Natalie. We're going to have a 15, 20-minute break, and we will see you after that with Richard Russo. Thank you. I can't in good conscience recommend Incest or Murder, but I can recommend The Children of Jocasta by Natalie Haynes. Check out our website, theliterarysalon.co.uk, for tickets. They go fast. Or sign up for our newsletter on Facebook.